This week's episode of the Cincy Shirts podcast is brought to you by our partners at Christian Moorline. Check out our entire collection of Moorline apparel, including designs featuring Little Kings, Hootipal, Burger, and more at CincyShirts.com. And just click on the drop-down menu, look for partners, and click on Moorline. And be sure to visit the Moorline Logger House at 115 Joe Nuxall Way in Cincinnati, right next to Great American Ballpark. Now, on with the show. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC Cincinnati. This is the nation station. again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 84. Today on our show, Sean Lemkul. What I've seen over the years is there's a lot of counter people that do have stuff or, or vendors. Actually, the ones that really have the best stuff at this point that I've seen are, are people that worked with Kenner in some capacity. They have the best stuff, but a lot of them are really gun-shy about selling it because they feel like that they're not supposed to have it for some reason. He's called a toy hoarder by his wife. That's because he and his brother Ryan has one of the most expansive collection of mostly Star Wars toys in the world. They've been featured in local news stories as well as the Netflix series The Toys That Made Us. Sean sits down with us to discuss why Star Wars toys are so sought after, why their value varies so widely from toy to toy, and how he and his brother started collecting in the first place. And he also reveals what the worst collectible toy ever was in history, and a whole lot more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and kick in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen to the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. And also, after the interview, I have some interesting Star Wars Star Trek cross trivia. But first, let's talk to Sean Lemcool. Cincinnati. She came down Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at Cincinnati. First toy you remember getting. First toy I remember getting as a kid? Oh geez. I don't know if I can drill down to one individual toy. I remember really fondly. My birthday every year, like every Cincinnati kid, we would get the Johnny's Toys uh, yeah. key. Yeah. And actually, we my parents kept everything, so we actually still have some of those keys. Yeah, we still have the keys on the oh, card backs on too. The card it makes them worth more, right? Wow. Dude, when are you gonna keys? Do you have <laughs> many? Do you have? Do you have enough to sell me one? Uh, I had to ask my brother. I know he's got one in his collection. I think we might have one or two more floating around. All right, uh, that'd be well, awesome. You know, I'd love to put that in a store here. All right, yeah, definitely. I want to bring that back. We need I want three of them. I would love to have a place where we could bring back the Johnny's toys. Like you send out a key for kids' birthdays, and they show up and pick out a little prize. Well, there's uh, the place that I'm not sure. It's some computer business. It's over there. Yeah, they they still do that, but they do it for you know different PC type elements. I think. Yeah, my we signed my son up for it, hoping he would get a key for his birthday this year, and it never came. So. Oh really? Yeah. Ah. So I want somebody that's going to do it right. Yeah. Which is us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Darren, you weren't here yet, right? I know you know all about the key, but you weren't. No, no, I didn't come till 97. So uh, my, I don't know, I wasn't into, a, I wasn't an adult doing uh, 
towards I, then. I, I think Hannah might have done it at the very tail end of it. I don't know when they stopped doing well, it. Well, my roommate Lizzie actually helped build the castle. Did they do like an updated yeah, yeah. castle like yeah, yeah. in the late 90s? That I remember. They did one in, um, uh, in Fort Wright or uh, Latonia. Oh, that's where yeah. he helped? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At Totter's Otterville or whatever. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he had a hand in that. So it must have been going on, but well, the main store was really Spring, looking for Johnny Springdale or, or Green Hills or something like that. We always right? went to the one that was over in like Milford, Loveland area. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, there yeah, was yeah. One. in the plaza, right yeah, there. It was. It was a yeah, place yeah. where they, and it was odd because as a kid I went there, and then when I went to high school, I remember that was like the teen dance club where we would go and try to talk to girls. So I went from one stage of my life from going there to look for toys from another stage to learn how to talk to women very poorly. Uh, all in the same building, all the same location, which is crazy looking back at that. That is crazy. <laughs> oh, dude, that was the best, getting that key in the mail. It was, yeah. So that's, I got fond memories. We, uh, you know, my grandma, she still lives over in Hyde Park. So we would come over to Hyde Park and if we behaved ourselves on the way home, my mom would, uh, we would swing by Johnny's Toys. I think there was one over on this side of town, maybe Norwood area. Was there yeah, one normal? Yeah, okay. there was in Surrey Square. That right. was the last one that I remembered. It was like in the mall, so yeah. it didn't have that like magical place exactly that the, that the one in uh, Green Hills had. You know, where it right. was like its own building and this giant part. Like you're walking in. You know, this was like here's a here's a yeah. storage broom closet that's now the castle door. It wasn't a destination spot. It was yeah. more of like, oh, hey, there's a toy store. Let's stop in. Like, yeah. So we would go there and. I remember we would get to pick out toys from like the discount rack. So the lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because we're speaking probably late 80s at this point, uh, and then G.I. Joe's. So I remember the first G.I. Joe was Croc Master that I got, and he had like that. It kind of was like a black S&M type, like leather looking <laughs> mask that he wore. Are you sure it's Croc Master? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm positive. <laughs> Croc. <laughs> there he is. Jeez. He came with a, uh, a crocodile and like a, a leash for his crocodile. I remember, I remember having that oh, uh, and destroying it. I actually tied it to a string and the back of my bike's my bicycle seat, riding down the street and just having it blast into a million pieces. And then. Another collector friend of mine years ago, uh, he was. We were talking about GI Joe, and I told him I would love to have a Crocmaster someday. And I guess it was a week later in the mail, I had a box from him, and it was one that was still in the package from the '80s, just as a gift. Wow! Because I had mentioned to him casually, which I thought was really, really cool. I mean, is that one worth money now, or is that just sentimental? Oh yeah, I mean they're all worth money. I mean GI Joes, yeah, uh, like you know, '80s, you know, mid to late '80s are, are typically the most. Um, uh, most in demand, most desirable right now. What happens with those, though, is that they were produced with a really uh, small, almost like a rubber band-looking gasket-type thing that holds it all together. And so over time, those end up um, you know, breaking down, and the, the figures probably will end all end up falling apart. Yeah, that does look a little sketchy. Yeah, that's it. It's like Bane. Yeah, he does look uh, a little like... But you see that, yeah... I guess Bane's probably a better uh, <laughs> representation uh, of how it looks. Black Manta So his head. weapon was a crocodile? <laughs> yeah, well, look at the uh, card art. If you look down at the bottom right-hand corner, I mean, how badass is that? He's fighting a crocodile. He's got his hand in its mouth. Yeah. And he's trying to keep it in line. We're going after his enemies. Sounds like that would uh, really hold him back, though, from... Uh He's not only fighting his enemies, but he's also <laughs> fighting his trying to control his crocodile. I, just I had no, no idea that existed. Was that yeah. in the cartoons? 
Uh, you know what? It's funny. I remember laying in my parents' bed and watching the cartoons, but I cannot tell you a single episode. I probably couldn't even describe any of the plots to you at this point. Yeah, so I just remember ago. all the, the uh, no one is half the battle things at the end of the episodes. They right. all have been parodied yes. on the internet. Yeah. Some of my favorite yes. YouTube videos. When I was a kid, G.I. Joe was a lot taller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my era. Yeah, yeah, G.I. Joe. And then I went to, I think, uh, Action Man. Um, then you had Super Joe, which they tried to revitalize the G.I. Joe line. I think that was like early 70s. And um, I don't think that did very well, but those are real collectible today. What's interesting with the old G.I. Joes in that 12-inch scale is that years ago, there was an extreme amount of value to those. And over the years, it's, it's started to go down because the collectors of those items that remember them fondly from their childhood have started to sell off their items because they're retiring or they're moving or they're just trying to downsize. And there's not a new... Uh, line of collectors to replace them. The, the newer collectors, the ones that are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, are sticking more to like the 80s, uh, 80s and 70s type era. So it's uh, it's interesting. With, with those old ones too, a lot of them would break down like around their joints, so they get cracks, and and that's what di- dictates the value nowadays for the ones that are loose is how many cracks it has like on its arms or its legs because the plastic would expand and contract with, especially with Cincinnati weather. Huh. But I'm sure there's perfect specimens out there somewhere that have been. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, I think what people <clears throat> fail to realize sometimes is that, you know, those items are mass produced. So I, I know of a couple toy dealers and collectors that live in different, like, uh, port cities like Seattle or New York um, that every once in a while will turn up cases full of things. Uh, a couple years ago, I was at a toy show and I remember seeing uh, Evil Knievel. There was yes. a, the stunt cycle. Remember yes, the stunt I cycle? had it. Had it. This guy had cases of them that were unopened. Really? Yeah. Cases. Wow. You crank this handle. Yes. And then you'd pl- hit the plunger, and evil would shoot off, and you'd go over around. I had the stadium and everything. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So things like that, they turn up every once in a while. It's it's incredible to me that things like that are still, you know, being found to this day. What? Uh, so when did when did the you get bit by the bug of you know, that brought us to where you are now with it. Uh, where it's like an obsession. Uh. <laughs> it is, it's an obsession, but like, w- w- what was the period of your life? What were you doing in that period of your life where like you were grown out, you know, you were out of the toy, right. like as a child, you weren't playing with them anymore until you started getting into the collecting of them again. So I always collected something. My parents, when they would go on dates back in the 70s before they were married, they would actually go to Aunt you know, toy shows and antique auctions and things like that. They enjoyed it. They've always collected things. And so I think when you're raised in a household where there's an appreciation for like antiquities and uh, uh, pulp culture type items, then you kind of gravitate toward it. So I started like most kids did. I started with baseball cards. I love baseball cards. Um, You know, huge Reds fan. I remember, um, you know, going to the parade as a kid with the little brooms. I don't remember if it was before or after I think it, I guess it was after the year we had swept. Was that ninety? Yeah, yeah. So it'd been ninety-one, maybe. Yeah. When they gave out the brooms from seven hundred WLW. Okay. And okay. I, I still have one of those somewhere because again, my parents keep everything, and um, I collected the baseball cards up until about when the strike happened, and I don't remember that vividly, but something to do with the strike just kind of turned me off from collecting baseball memorabilia as much as I did, and at that point, I discovered the Marvel. Uh, like chrome foil type cards 
and we had a card store that was right down the street from our house. So we would go and ride our bikes and we would go into this card store and we'd buy these uh, X-Men cards and we'd try to find the chaser cards, which was like these, these clear acetate. It was, when it almost looked like a, um, uh, almost looked like one of those uh, like cartoon cells where it would yeah, kind of be yeah, floating yeah. on the acetate card. And so I got, I got heavy into that. And then 1995, when this trilogy was going to be re-released, I, I went, we went, my brother and I were at the flea market with my parents. We were walking around and we saw a booth that had all this vintage Star Wars stuff. And we started to look at it and we said, we've got that. We've got that. I mean, there were toys that we didn't realize were from part of the Star Wars franchise. And I saw it and it started to bring back memories of when I was a kid and I had a lot of these figures before I ever saw the movie. So the whole world of Star Wars and, you know, the imagination was all in my head. I created this this land for these these characters to play in before I ever saw the movies. And he and I went back and we started to dig through the basement and we ended up finding the figures. And we just kind of at that point started to decided to collect. And um, it grew from there. You know, at, at that time, we were relatively young. I was 13. My brother was 11. So our... Uh, our, our spending, you know, our uh, the the purse size that we had to go out and buy items was was pretty minuscule. We would do things like, um, you know, we'd just do things around the house to earn extra money to go out there and maybe buy like a ten dollar figure after you know a week of work. Um, and we we really accumulated a pretty nice collection. I ended up getting a job, believe it or not, at Toys R Us uh, when I was fifteen years old. I had to get special written permission from the state, uh, the one over there in, in Kenwood. And I wanted a job there because I wanted a chance to get all the toys when they first came in. And uh, <laughs> so I started to collect a lot of the 90s stuff. And then as we could afford it, the stuff in the 70s and 80s. And we got a, a nice you know, little collection at the time. We thought it was the largest collection in the world. Uh, and now it's, it's you know, I look back and I have pictures of it, you know, as a kid growing up. And it's kind of funny to me. But I, I took so much pride in it with my brother because it's something we did together. And uh, then I went off to college in, in 2001. And uh, kind of took a break. Well, because number one, I had no money. And number two, there's a lot other things that you're paying attention to in college other than toys. Yeah. And so... <laughs> you want to come see my Star Wars collection? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's funny. In uh, my parents' basement. That, that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's another story down the road. Huh? <laughs> so I, uh, I ended up you know, graduating college, getting a job in advertising and marketing. And was, and was in that role for two or three years. And a show called Toy Hunter came on TV. And I think it was like every other episode, he kept touting, you know, Cincinnati is the, the whole, you know, the Mecca of toys. It's the best Jordan toys in the Hembro. world. Jordan Hembro, yes. And uh, I remember calling my brother and I said, do you really think there's stuff like that out there still? Because we were so used to purchasing from, you know, the flea markets and toy dealers and uh, eBay at one time. So he's like, yeah, let's try it. So I started to run some ads and, and just do different ways to, to try to contact people. And uh, all of a sudden, my phone was blowing up. I, this is back when Craigslist was, you know, still pretty relevant. In, this in wasn't regards. that long ago, right? This was probably nine years ago, eight years ago, maybe. That show was on that long ago. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Because I was living in Louisville at the time, and as traveling, I was traveling back to Cincinnati all the time. I had moved there for a job, um, and we just started to, you know, try to reach out to people and basically try to fish where the fish were. And I remember the first deal I went on, it was to a storage unit. Um, it was over there on the west side, which is the best side. The west <laughs> side's so I'm an east side guy, but the west side is the best side in the whole world for toys. I, I think it's just the people on that side of town, like they really 
They, you know what it is? I, what I think it is, is they, the west side of Cincinnati is no one, everyone grows up there and stays there yeah. and buys a house down the street from their parents there. No one leaves. No one yes. purges. Yep. It's just, you know, it's generations of families that stay in the same neighborhood. Right. I think it's, and it, I think it's generational appreciation for hard work too, because like, I mean, the toys, you look at some of the price tags on them, and if you were to, you know, put into Google, see what the equivalent would be nowadays, a lot a lot of times toys back then are more expensive than even the equivalent today. So if they were making a purchase of a, let's call it, let's say it's a Millennium Falcon, you know, from 78 or 79, and they spend the equivalent of today's dollars and maybe under 80 or $100 on it, well, they're going to treat that pretty, you know, pretty nicely because it's not every day they get a toy that value. Um, I also think because... There's not a lot, a ton of new builds over there, so it's not like you're having a, a house torn down and rebuilt every day like you are on the east side. Um, there's more stuff in basements and attics and things like that. But I think it's kind of a combination of all those things. So the first uh, toy buy we went on was to a storage unit over there, and I remember uh, going in the storage unit, and the guy had like an AT-AT, which is an all-terrain, what is it, all-terrain... All-terrain armor transport. transport. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. to think of it for a second. So we, in the nerds like me, the collectors, we call them AT-ATs for short, or yeah. AT-AT, if you want to be very specific about it. Uh, but the guy had one of those. He had a couple figures, and I remember I spent like $150, and I was sick to my stomach. Because it was the first time I had gone and met up with somebody and purchased a lot. Now, when you go there, do you, at this point, do you have knowledge of what, what a good price or like what you're going to pay for it? Well, yeah, I mean, it, what I look for, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, toys from the 70s and 80s aren't nat- aren't necessarily rare. Uh, Star Wars was the most produced action figure toy line probably in history. So if you were a child of that during that era, you typically, your parents or your relatives or somebody you know has that stuff somewhere in storage. The, the thing that really contributes to the value is the condition of it, um, how complete it is. And the desirability, because it could be rare. Let's say, for instance, like a um, maybe like original Dixie cups that are still sealed. Maybe there's a variation that's extremely rare. Well, that may to a collector only be worth you know twenty five to a hundred dollars, even though it's exceedingly rare. More than like a card of Boba Fett, which is a lot more desirable. So Boba Fett can go for thousands, whereas the Dixie cups could go for under a hundred bucks. Yeah, because one's more desirable than the other, and that's what I try to educate people on uh, and the condition depending on the item can you know wildly swing the values uh, but typically nowadays I mean most people educate themselves uh, they use eBay um, they use other sites you know a lot of times they're looking up the values and they tell me what they want for it and then what I do is I I'll sit down with them and we'll go through it together um, but now I mean the access to information is so much easier to get than it's ever been um, so, I, I mean, I typically have an idea. I know what a, a traditional childhood collection is going to look like. Typically, there's a few weapons. There's a bunch of figures. Um, the, most of the time, they're out of the package. Occasionally, they're in the package. Um, I would say if you look at just, you know, desirability from a Star Wars action figure still in the package, I would think Star Wars, they, so we're talking 77 through 79, those are the most desirable um, and then you have the Empire Strikes Back, which, which would be in 1980 through 82. Um, and then you have Power of the Force, which is when the lines start to die off. So that would have been about 84, 85. 
Well, and then you have Return. Jedi, yeah. Yeah, you have Return of the Jedi, which is it's the most plentiful and the, and the least in demand, the least desirable. Um, just because there were so many of them. And by that time, in 83, 84, uh, Star Wars was obviously a household name. And it was, everybody could tell. I mean, this was a pop culture phenomenon. So a lot of people, what they would do, they would go to the KB toy stores and the other stores that would do huge discounts on you know overstock figures and they would buy up like 50 to 100 figures for 50 cents a piece and then sit on them thinking that they're going to be worth money which they are but they're not worth the same sort of money that the earlier figures uh, that debuted are worth wow yeah I'm looking at the toyworth.com has this uh, pre-packaged early bird kit I guess this is a male right only a you got one of those in your uh, your collection? Yeah, we've got. Uh, so there's there's that's actually the mail. That's the certificate. So you would go in to Toys R Us or Giant's Toys or whoever was carrying the the Star Wars brand at the time. And what happened was Kenner, who got the they earned the rights to the Star Wars franchise here in the states, and the movie, you know, tri- you know, movies prior to Star Wars had not done that well from a merchandising standpoint for toys. So Kenner had the foresight as a smaller toy company to take a risk and it obviously paid off dividends. But once the movie went into production and all of a sudden it blew up and it was huge, it was a mad scramble to get, to get the toys on the shelves for the Christmas of 78. I believe it was, it was 78. I always get my, uh, my dates mixed up. So they were behind the eight ball trying to get this stuff all done. I should know. It would have been Christmas of 77. 77. Yeah. So Christmas is 77. Exactly, yeah. Of May of yeah, 77. Yeah. So they wanted to get it to retail by Christmas of 77, but they just couldn't do it. If if you look at like an original sheet of the amount of work it took to get a toy to production, it was insane. Because you had all these different ancillary steps or incremental steps to get to the point of production. Yeah, there's no 3D printing. Exactly. No 3D, <laughs> no, you know, CAD design, none of that stuff. So you know, a lot, of, it was all handmade. Now, there were sculptors that would sculpt the concept. Um, a lot of times they would be outsourced by different, you know, different parts of the country. And one of the um, decision makers at Kenner had the, the idea of saying, well, why don't we sell a certificate that says, you know, if you purchase this certificate and you can give it to the kids at Christmas, that they can expect a gift after Christmas of these action figures. And they'll be the first ones in the neighborhood to get them. And it actually was a huge success. So the, the one that you pulled up on the left where it has that really beautiful litho of the original paintings of the figures kind of all lined up because obviously they didn't have the, the figures created yet to photograph them, yeah. right? So uh, those would be, be able to be purchased at the store, and um, it would come with a, uh, a background too, like a backdrop where you could actually stand them up and uh, display them once they came in the mail. So that was the value add, right? So instead of just getting a certificate, you actually have the display stand. So you can set that up, and when your figures arrive in the mail, you can go ahead and put them in there. So those can be thousands of dollars if they're sealed, uh, several hundreds if they're open and complete. The sealed ones, obviously, are a lot more difficult to find because you know they would have been overstock yeah. or put away and forgotten about. Uh, and then on the right-hand side, it's what that is, that's actually the early bird um, group of figures. So that's the early bird, actual early bird package. And that would have been received in a white box, like a white mailer box. And uh, there's four different figures, uh, Luke, Leia, Chewbacca, and R2-D2. And they come with little pegs. So the pegs is to help fit them in that stand that you got when you purchased the certificate. Uh, 
and um, they would have come in little baggies, and and so those are those are definitely cool, and that's really the first Star Wars action figure. Action, group of action figures that went to retail. So the pegs that they put on the on the bottom of the feet that were initially for the stand, is that where they got the idea to continue to do that with future figures to be able to use them in different play sets? Uh, or was that a question. Thing, was that a thing that a lot of other toy lines are doing? I think those, I believe those little holes yeah. in the heels of the figures. I believe that the other toy lines were already doing that. Because you you did have uh, a couple other toy lines that were out there before Star Wars that were in a similar scale, not necessarily the same size. So I think that I mean I don't quote me on that, but I believe that that was already done. When when did Battlestar Galactica come out? Was that seventy eight? Was that seventy eight? Yep. Dang. Okay. <laughs> Darn good. <laughs> it's right. All right, because I believe they have big He's a resident C three PO. But you know the three and three quarter inch scale. I mean that set that set the standard for for action figures and toys moving forward. Well, wasn't it also today? very deliberate when they started releasing these figures to put the entire collection on like the photo of all the figures available oh, on yeah. the card back because it, it, then it became like uh, I gotta get them all. Oh yeah. Well, it, th- what they used is they used. The collecting mentality, and they instilled it in, in kids from a really early age, yeah. even in the, the parents, the adults, right? Because if you have, let's say, um, you've got the original twelve, and all of a sudden now there's twenty, and you pick up a, a card at Star, you know, at uh, Toys R Us, and turn it around, yeah. and you see twenty on the back, well, then you can buy that one, you can tear it off the card, and then you can circle the ones you still need and cross them out as you go. Yeah. So a lot of the card, when we find card backs, which is the the terminology we use for that that uh, cardboard backing, a lot of times we'll find them numbered off or even crossed out when kids would accumulate them and actually keep track of what they did and didn't have in their collection. <laughs> and then talk a little bit about the variants. How does that happen? You know, like the the Jawa cloth cape versus the plastic cape, or the you know the Obi Wan's hair color, or you know. They got the Luke Skywalker with a yellow lightsaber that never happened in the movie, you know. Um, right. Talk a little bit about the variance of what a lot of people may just assume are the same figure, but, you know, unless you're a collector, you're you're looking for subtle differences that can really affect the value. Yeah, so I think probably the most well-known one is a Vinyl Cape Jawa, uh, just because it, I would say when it's on, in the package, it's the most visually... Uh, different example of a variation and those were released early on so there's if you the original release of star wars we call them 12 backs because if you turn around to the back it, it uses that same painting that we that you saw on the um on the early bird uh envelope yeah and so it was only 12 figures at that point that were going to production and so that's a 12 back if you turn around it's got those that painting of the 12 on the back that's a 12 back and there's like, I think, four different variations of a 12-back. You have a 12A, you've got a 12A with a skew, which means it actually has a skew number on the footer of the figure. I'm getting really nerdy on no, you no, now. No, no, no. This is, what, yeah, this is what's it. fascinating because yeah, you know, some details. people might pick up something and be like, oh, I have a Han Solo figure, but then right. they don't realize that it's there's big beyond that. It's, yeah. Right. <laughs> and then you have a B and some of the, the text in the back changed a little bit at the bottom. So at the bottom, they would have different you know incentives like you can mail away with, you know, X amount of proofs of purchase and $2. And over time, they would change that a little bit. So that would be a B back. And then they change the text again. And then there's a 12 C back. And then you'd have um, overstock, 12 backs that would then be slapped with a sticker 
that when they came out it ended up coming to 32. So it's called a 1232 back. Those are exceedingly rare. And then there's another one, I forget, it's also a sticker, but that's a 12E. So there's, if you get into all the variations of just the card back that a, that a figure's on, I mean, it's exponential. It's, there's probably hundreds. Well, what makes one worth more than another? Is it just, I want to have all of them or is like the 12C was the one they printed the least of. So it's worth more. Actually, I think 12C they probably made the most of. Well, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, everybody wants the first release of something, right? So 12As typically get a little bit of a premium, um, but a condition so important on this stuff. I mean, I have, I think in our collection at this point, we probably have 90 Probably about 90 different uh, 12 backs. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's a sickness. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, conditioned, conditions a lot of it. But going back to the Jawa, from you know everything I've read and I've heard over the years is that parents would complain that it didn't it it didn't aesthetically look like the character from the movie. The character from the movie, you know, had this kind of rough fabric cloth that you know covered the majority of his head, whereas the vinyl cape Jawa, you could see the sculpting of the head very well. So it did. It just didn't look like the character. And I think that might have been something that Kenner did to save money because soft goods and doing the stitching probably cost like a quarter, you know, probably like one-tenth of a cent more per unit or something. Yeah. So they were trying to, you know, to, to just pass it through, but they ended up changing it pretty quickly. But when you say, like, I just find it funny when you say, like, parents would complain or whatever like you just think about how easy that is to do now with you know you could go to you could go to hasbro's facebook page or right. you know what I mean? yeah. or send an email like yeah how like how was that happening in the 70s so they had something called kenner cares so when you would you would get a box uh let's say you get a tie fighter and you open it up and you have this certificate that actually falls out that says you know problems questions calls and it had an 800 number and it said Kenner Cares on it. And they'd actually have a team of people here in Cincinnati that would provide, I don't know what it's called, freebies, but it was kind of like a make good, right? So if you call and you say, hey, I got a Millennium Falcon and I lost the Luke training ball on the lever that hangs from the string, which, by the way, is probably the most difficult piece to find in any vehicle, in my experience, because it's so tiny and it immediately pops off. So you would call them and say, you know, I lost it. And they say, okay, well, thank you for your business. What's your address? And they would actually send an envelope with a replacement piece to your house for free. Wow. That's how much they cared about earning your business and keeping. And I think that goes hand in hand with the collect them all mentality. Because if you collect them on, you've got, you know, 96 or whatever characters. Well, there's only so much you can do with your imagination. So what are you doing next? You're buying the vehicles. You're buying the play sets. You're buying the stuff that... They're making money hand over fist based off of the initial action figure sales. So they created this whole world around the action figures. But what they did is they really stepped up on the customer service side to make sure that, you know, once they earned your business, they kept it. Exactly. So that stuff's hard. That stuff's really tough to find. Those uh, Kenner Cares uh, package mailers. Like, they're tough. That's the stuff that I get really, really excited about because, number one, they're almost impossible to find. But if you do find them, a lot of times it'll be a, it's something weird. It'll be, um, you know, like a, a bag of lightsabers or it'll be a, like I, I have a couple bags where there's probably one of almost every weapon ever made. And it, I bought it from a lady that worked within the Kenner Cares program and it was just never sent out to a customer. It was just overstock stuff that hmm. by the time the Star Wars line died, she wrote a bag of weapons. Yeah, bag of weapons. So you have access to some Kenner warehouse or is there, a, is there a bunker somewhere here in Cincinnati that, uh, 
So, oh, oh, this story makes me want to cry. There was a guy that uh, I talked to years ago whose family um, actually owned one of the warehouses. And he had found a couple of things, just starting lineup coins, and I would bought them from him. And they were in bulk. They were like several hundreds of them at, at a time. And he told me about this place, and he's like, well, i got to get my, my family to give us the okay. We'll go into it. He's like, there's definitely, there's boxes. I don't know what's in there. We'd have to get a ladder and climb. And I say, you know, I'll volunteer. I just got to rent a ladder, or, you know, yeah. uh, get a cherry picker in there or something uh, to, to get up that high. And um, I guess it was about a year ago, he messaged me and he just said, no go. We can't go in there. Uh, apparently what had happened is the family, his family that was living out of town, they weren't watching the property. And I, unfortunately, a homeless camp started inside of it. And it became too dangerous to go in and look for anything. And from what I heard, by the time they got in there, anything that was left was gone or just recently. And I know this just from like my friends I talked to. And I may see if you want to go with me because I have a friend of mine who said that they're actually tearing it down this Friday or this Saturday. Something to do with like next week or this weekend. So he's trying to get in to do, do like a one last walkthrough of it on Friday before they destroy it. And it's over in the Oakley area. I guess I can say it now because it doesn't matter at this point. It's over in like the Oakley area, and they're tearing that facility down to I guess you know build new condominiums or something. It's a really big development that's going in. Wow! But it's over that way. Now, full disclosure: when we are recording this, <laughs> it's before this building is torn down. But yeah, if it's any time in the next couple of weeks, this episode will have will air after this has happened. So. If it happens, I'm, I'm saying right no, now. Oh, it's, ha- it's happening for sure. No, I'm saying like if it happens that I get to go or we get an update, we'll post an update when when this episode airs. We should get a landing party together. We've got Ronnie Salerno, <laughs> our friend from Abandoned Cincinnati, yep. and a, an expert in going to abandoned buildings. We'll and get the ghost hunter guy Ghost hunter here. guy, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> there we go. There'll <laughs> <laughs> be a bunch of Kenner Force ghosts in there. <laughs> uh, I just want to walk around there with a metal detector. Hey, I wish they had plastic detectors. Why don't they have those? Yeah, right. Right? Because it would go off everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's people that, and I think it's funny because obviously they're not from around here, collectors from all over the world. They always say, you know, we heard that Rumpke's a good place to look for toys. I'm like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? You're gonna oh go gosh. out there and dig for the next hundred years? Mountain, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, everyone kind of jokes that. The, so the most valuable stuff that came out of Kenner from a collector perspective is industrial waste, right? It's the pieces and parts, parts and, and, yeah. and stuff that was not, you know, sent out to retail. And I'll end up at Mount Rumpke one way or another. It's probably hundreds of feet down at this point, and good luck ever finding it. But thousands. Yeah. There's. Did you ever hear the story about the? Uh, it was a. Um, it's kind of like Mount Rumpke. It's uh, like a dump that they dropped all the ET Atari games. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. documentary about that. They, they found dug them, them yeah. up. They dug them up, and people yeah. are getting them graded. They're actually getting them encased in acrylic as part of that find. For their collections. I kid you not. That's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. It's like a time capsule. Have I told the story on this podcast about the my, my card back story from Return of the Jedi? No, but tell it again. I was just going to bring it up. I tell it to people every day. In my so life. these are the types of stories that make <laughs> Sean cringe when I tell him. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> my dad was... Uh, he was a car guy. Most of the guys at Kenner were car guys. Like, that was their side... Thing, is the they engineering would, they guys. would work yeah. on old cars. I don't ever remember my dad taking one of our vehicles to a mechanic or an oil change place. He did. He fixed brakes. He did everything in our garage. And so um, I remember, like it was yesterday, he brought home probably ten uncut cardboard sheets oh. 
that said uh, Revenge of the Jedi because he had taken him out of the dumpster because they had changed the name of the movie to Return of the Jedi. So they had thrown away these card backs that they couldn't use, and my dad brought them home and proceeded to use them uh, on the floor of the garage for when he would change the oil. In the uh, no, I'd never heard that story. Oh. And what are those? What does one of those untouched <coughs> sheets go for now? Oh, you had ten of them. Yeah, you could have sent both your kids to college. How about that? But yeah, hey, ten of them untouched sheets. How change? many more on each sheet? I don't know, sixteen maybe, yeah. twenty something like that. I mean, significant amount of money. Wow. But here, I mean, here's the thing: if everybody had kept everything, it wouldn't be worth anything, right? So right, but it's that's like a the distinct yeah. one. But but it's not even just like a toy I played with that I sold the yard sale. Right. It's like this was legitimate garbage, like pulled from a dumpster. Yep. You know, that's you know, and I always think about that. Yeah, but in a way, it's if I mean, obviously, you know, from a from an investment or a money side, it would be great to have it. But how cool is a story that you get to share that about your dad? No, totally. So there's definitely value to that. 100%. You know? And even, you know, and that's the other thing, too, that I stress to, you know, people who are, like, thinking about selling their collectibles or don't know what they have is, like, let someone like you look at it and tell them, like, you know, that's why you and I are friends is because I respect the way that you treat people that I send to you, right? Mm -hmm. And you've made it very clear that you have a reputation that you want to uphold. So you can't be known as a guy who will go in and talk to someone who doesn't realize how valuable their things are and just give them just a tiny bit of money because they're too stupid to know the difference. Like, you want to be known as someone who's fair, right? Right. And so even me, who I felt like at the time, this is in the early... 2000s when I was quitting my day job to do stand-up full-time. That's when I sold all my Star Wars stuff. I thought I was Mr. Know-it-all, you know? <laughs> like, I thought I knew everything. And when the guy came to buy my collection, you know, I had laid out all my Star Wars stuff in, in my parents' basement. And uh, we agreed on a price that I thought was fair. And then he said, is this everything? And I said, well, there's a little box over there that just has some... <laughs> random weapons in it and you know some stuff i didn't think you'd want he he goes through it and he finds two ewok figures that were from the ewoks cartoon yep that was season two and never aired so they were unproduced ewoks figures right and i had two of them and i had never laid them out because i didn't i didn't include them as the same vein as like the star wars movies and those two pieces <laughs> were worth more than everything else that i had just Agreed to sell. Oh, yeah, definitely. Wow. If you remember the first, I think it was the first time we ever met, I came out to your house and you had, oh, what was it? Uh, the, remember the claw? Yeah. You had the, the claw truck. and you were, you called me because you're like, hey, I wanted to, I wanted to talk some of those toys before I put this out because I'm having a garage sale, which is funny because I love your, uh, yeah, your standard yeah. routine in the garage sale. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think if you were like referring to me specifically or not. <laughs> that, but I remember uh, I was looking at it. And it looked off to me, and I turned underneath, and you had a price for a dollar, and you're going to put it out. And I was like, dude, this is easily $100. This is a proto-mold hand-painted. It's not, like, hugely desirable, but I'm like, this is really early prototype of what they ended up producing. So I remember I gave you $100 for an item you had priced for a dollar. Yeah. And I think that's how we started off, kicked off our relationship. And you relationship. sold it for 10 grand. I still have it. I, I'm like, that's why... Uh, my wife calls me, well, my, our website we set up called Toy Hoarders. My wife calls me a hoarder because 
if you know, even if it's not Star Wars, if it's something I really like, like Swamp Thing or like Mass, some of the stuff that reminds Robocop. me of Robocop. Yeah, I got Robocop, Robocop uh, prototypes. Um, I, I keep it, <laughs> so yeah. I don't really have a collecting focus. I think like a lot of people do. Um, which drives other Star Wars collectors crazy. But, they know and and I hope things. you don't mind me telling people sure. this, but all of your toys are paid for by... No? Like, no, that's, that's fine. Well, I mean, I've, I've bought in bulk for, for so many years that I've got significant amount of extras and duplicates and things that I sell off when I need to buy things for my own collection. Right. And I, but I think what, what makes it, why I like that is because it does it's not cutthroat for you. It's not like you have to... Like, it's not about the money. No, yeah. I'm just super competitive. I love. I'm sorry I love if I said something I no, wasn't supposed no. to say, but I mean, like, I I think that that's why you have that approach of like being fair and just like you you enjoy the stories of finding the stuff as much as you do finding the stuff. Be, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you have I love a real it. appreciation for it, and it's not like oh I could buy it for this and sell it for this. Like, it's no, because I only. keep most of it. Right, right. That's why, <laughs> right? That's why I brought um, that up. Yeah. No, I uh, for me, I think. I get just as much, if not more, enjoyment out of finding it than I do buying it and keeping it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, I can walk down and show you any piece of my collection. And most of the items, I have a story behind. I can tell you when I got it, you know, what it was used for. Uh, some of the carded figures, since we have some, we probably have over 400 figures or 500 figures at this point. Maybe 600. <laughs> Still trying to archive all, which is, oh, God. It's, it's a task. But, um, you know, I can tell you where the majority of the stuff came from. And what we do is we always are upgrading the own condition of, or the condition of what we have in our collection. So we try to keep the best example of everything that we come across. Right. So if you find a figure that's an eight and you own a seven, you're going to put the eight in your collection yeah. and you maybe sell the seven or something. Oh, I probably have, where my brother and I, we probably, just loose figures, we probably have three to 4,000 vintage Star Wars figures and probably about the same amount of weapons. Because what we do is like we'll we'll take the beaters and um, we'll when we occasionally we'll sell those we sell them for three dollars a piece two for five and we just and a lot of times if we go to like a toy store or something we we'll give them out to kids for free just so they 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 play with it it's so great because like it, at the end of the day I mean you want the hobby to become sustainable and what's interesting to me is how many people that are younger like in their teens and twenties that have no really recollection of the original movies coming out because they weren't around obviously but they've gravitated toward the order the toys collective. because they respect the history of it yeah. and especially locally they like the fact that the stuff was all you know engineered developed and really created here in Cincinnati which is so cool it's so cool and I think I always <laughs> I, it's funny like I think that's outside of obviously my family that's probably my favorite thing about Cincinnati now is just the toy rich toy history here. Yeah. Which, you know, I've, over years of just research and talking to people that help make them really makes you appreciate the city for something that you wouldn't typically think of. Yeah. I mean, it changed, it, it changed everything. Yeah. Like, and it's funny. My, I have a buddy from Texas who's a big star Wars fan and his son is, I, I think I told you his son is nine and he he's collecting vintage GI Joe figures. Yeah, nine years old, <laughs> and that's what he is. He saves up all his money, and you know, over months to buy one because they're so that's expensive. Awesome. You know, awesome. but I just I love that. You know, yeah, it's um, it's 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 really cool. I mean, my kids, you know, they have probably one of every figure. I don't give them the weapons because honestly, the weapons in a lot of cases are worth more than the figures. Yeah. The figures have paint wear on them, but they have a weapon. Well, the figures probably worth a dollar or two. The weapon's worth more than that. 
So I, I let them play with one of every figure. They have a lot of vehicles. It's interesting to see a three and five year old play with vintage Star Wars stuff because when I give them a vehicle, when I buy collections, the pieces that are missing the most frequently, those are the first pieces they pop off and throw under the couch every time. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's why I can never find you know, the chin guns for the AT-AT, those, those plastic pieces that, yeah. that light up and go in and out. But it, it's interesting. I, you know, my kids, my three-year-old, I can hand him a 12-back, a card of 12-back figure worth you know, several hundreds of dollars, and he will look at it, appreciate it, hand it back to me. He won't even open it because he already has that figure to play with, so there's no need for him to you know, tear it open. He just, it's, it's interesting to me because if you provide your kids with that stuff, like in playable condition, you can collect really without them worrying, worrying about them destroying it. Now they're friends you got to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> so you were on the, uh, the documentary on Netflix. I, yeah, my brother and I were, it was, it was interesting. I was on Facebook and, uh, uh, Brian Volk Weiss, the creator that reached out to me and he says, Hey, we're going to be in Cincinnati, you know, filming for this documentary. Uh, I heard you have some cool things. Is it, would you be interested in, in, in talking? I was like, yeah, sure. So we went down there. And uh, at the time, I think, I thought it was more about like the collecting aspe- aspect of it, not necessarily about the development. So I think they filmed for like three and a half hours in our, you know, with our collection. And uh, they used, I think, like 15 seconds, yeah. 30 seconds. So if you look at the very beginning, you'll see my hands. And I'm talking about like a, this green emperor on a throne that was unproduced. And then uh, later on, I think it's probably 13, 12, 13 minutes into it, they're talking about label slapping. So taking oh, toys yeah. that were already created and basically slapping a Star Wars label on them to send them to, to retail as quick as possible. And my brother's talking about that, and I'm just sitting there. So, nice. <laughs> But it was, a really, it was a really cool experience. It was fun. Um, Brian and I, the, the producer, we talk a lot. And he, he's done some incredible stuff with uh, – you know, they're, I think they're on series three now of the toys that made us. Yeah. Now they're doing the movies that made us. So yeah. they're going to do a deep dive into different movies like Ghostbusters and, and, and movies from our childhood and the influence they had. And he's working on a, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it. He's working on another secret thing that has to do with toys that I've provided him some content for. But I don't know if I can talk about it yet. So maybe maybe I'll come back on when it's, I'm yeah. allowed to. For yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So what's the gem of your collection? Oh man, you know, Arenas is not the most valuable and most valuable to you. So I would say, if you just look at meaning for the collection, so we would always go to Trader's World growing up, back when they had tons of Star Wars stuff there, and I remember. You know, we the one figure we always wanted was a Yak Face. It looks like Joe uh, Joe Joe Campbell, Campbell. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, it was a figure that was never released in the states. It was up in Canada. It was overseas for whatever reason. They just it never it never came to be in, in uh, the United Wasn't States. Wasn't a mail in? I thought you could mail in. No, you? not not the Yak Face. No, if you have one like a mailer, I mean it's super valuable and rare just because there's very few of those that exist. I did. And those were I think those were overseas, but we wanted one really bad, and um, for Christmas one year. Like, that's all we wanted. And my grandma always did, like, one big gift for my brother and I. You know, we'd split it 50-50. And so one of the times we, I guess it was right around Christmas, we went to Trader's World, and there was a guy named Don Gibbs who was our he was our dealer. He was our toy dealer up there. And he gave... <laughs> this one's free, kid. He slipped my... He slipped my... Yeah, exactly. I wish the stuff was free back then. Jeez. He slipped my parents a business card. On the back of the business card says, I have a yak face coming in tomorrow. 
$150, give me a call or something. And I didn't know this at the time. He gave it to my parents, and my parents went back the next day without us. I don't remember how this happened, but they bought it, and my grandma ended up giving it to us for Christmas. And I remember it was this little box, and we opened it, and we both were like, the O moment like we just didn't expect it we saw it and it just kind of like stunned us like whoa and, and i think that was probably the most excited i've been as a kid it just from what i can remember of, of being a collector of anything and uh what's cool is my parents kept the card that he had written the message on the back and so that's displayed in our collection too so we had that original card oh cool yeah a little business card we're really sentimental like that's that awesome yeah that's yeah, great I mean, value-wise, it's kind of hard to say. We've got prototypes and things that are unproduced um, and, and things like that. There's not like you can't go to a price guide. It's it, Most of the transactions for things like that are, are secretive or very kept under wraps. What I've seen over the years is there's a lot of counter people that do have stuff or, or vendors. Actually, the ones that really have the best stuff at this point that I've seen are, are people that worked with Kenner in some capacity. So they did ejection molding or they did you know graphics and advertising, things like that. They typically had the best stuff because they weren't in a lot of the correspondence where collectors in the 90s came in and picked them. Kind of like, you know, you sold your stuff, Josh. Yeah. They have the best stuff, but a lot of them are really gun shy about selling it because they feel like that they're not supposed to have it for some reason. But I can tell you, I mean, I've I've been willing to sign like non-disclosure agreements. And even I, I've got friends that are lawyers and they've even said like if, the, if there were any statute of limitations, like they're all so far gone by this point. Because Hasbro acquired the Kenner brand in I think 2000, and they moved everything to Rhode Island. At this point, they don't they don't care because that was all stuff that was supposed to be you know thrown away or junked. Um, they have no right to it at this point. So the people that still own this stuff, it's theirs to do whatever they want with it at this point. Honestly, um, there was a lady we talked to years ago that had the original pattern for the Care Bear, and we really wanted it just because we thought it was a cool novelty to have. It was one of those you know didn't fit our Star Wars collection, but from a historical perspective, I mean, how cool is that? The original pattern that all the Care Bears came from. And my brother went to meet up with her, and she said, I burnt it. He said, what? She apparently had lit it on fire because she was so worried that if she sold it to us and it were to get out there, I don't know how, that she would somehow have to pay back money to them or something. So instead of you know selling it to people that would have displayed it and kept the history of it, she just burn it oh wow that's horrible yeah Yeah. so i think there's just a lot of information information because in the 90s you know they were really stringent on stuff leaving there you know walking out the door there at that time that's when the stuff started to become valuable like mid 90s and collectors would go in there and they would dumpster dive so they had signs and and actually ended up putting surveillance cameras in to deter the local collectors around here i know a guy up in westchester his i'd say his his first initial is z because he might listen to this he's a great guy but he would tell me stories about he would go dumpster diving out there. And he's had a couple amazing pieces and from his collection that he got by digging around the trash at Kenner back in the 90s. My gosh. Wow. Yeah. And I remember I, I remember finding out when I was about 13 or 14 years old what collectors were doing. And there was kind of like this secret society of like dumpster divers. And I remember wanting to go so bad. And my parents were like, absolutely not. What if you get arrested? And now I look back like, you know what? I was a minor. They wouldn't have done anything. Yeah. I got a slap on the wrist. Like the the re- the reward would have so far outweighed the risk. We should have done it. So I, I'd say that's a. I, I kind of regret not doing that. But 
what are some of the things that we grew up saying, hey, this is going to be valuable, hang on to this, hang on to this, and they're just totally tanked. Oh, my God. So baseball cards or Beanie Babies. How much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're, we're good. We're good. All right. So, uh, so I, I think what happens in my experience is you have clickbait that generates a lot of false, a lot of falsities out there. And it's, I, I deal with it maybe once or twice a year, whether it's like a clickbait article, like Buzzfeed or one of those, it comes out, it goes through also social media. And the most recent one, it's gotta be recent because I've been getting blown up with phone calls is the damn beanie babies, the top 20 most valuable beanie babies. Oh, yeah. Like the princess. princess Diana. Oh God. So you can go on eBay at any time. You see like there's, Ones for 99 cents with no bids. I mean, uh, you know, I would say Beanie Babies are probably, in my opinion, the worst manufactured collectible. So they were manufactured to be collectible. And, and the way that items sustain value and grow in collectability is letting it happen organically. Letting it happen through memories tied to childhood of, of having that toy or having, you know, the, the imagination tied to the experience of using it. Um, so that's why, like, you know, 70s, 80s Star Wars are so valuable because there's so much memories tied to that. You know, He-Man, that's that's a really good line of toys, too. Uh, I would say, like, 90s. Superpowers. Superpowers, definitely. Superpowers are tough to find. Yeah. They really are. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Well, Indiana Jones is weird because there weren't a lot of people that played with it. It was a, a horribly disastrous failure of a toy line. I didn't know they made a toy line. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah there's some cool stuff. Oh, yeah, they're really cool. My like, brother collects that Rip a guy's heart out and stuff like that from the... Or, yes. Or was there a pit with the Temple of Doom? Oh, there is there a, a... snake This the yeah. throne room. There's an auction in September, Profile. I think it's called Profiles in History. They actually auctioning off that heart from the movie. They're also offer, offering or auctioning off the monkey skull or you eat the monkey brains out of it. Ah, from Temple. Of I want Dan. some Shankara stones yes. too. But uh, <laughs> I was saying, awesome. so 90s Star Wars. There's not much value there at all, if any. I mean, everybody. That's when the 70s, 80s stuff Those blew. Were, those were t- like every figure was jacked. Oh yeah, yeah. The, they call it the uh, Monkey Leia. So if you if you type in, just go to Google and type in 1995 Princess Leia ha, Kenner. She her face she was like a monkey. She yeah. <laughs> so that they call it the, yeah they call it the Monkey Face Leia. But yeah, that was um, I think that was around the time of uh, of what was it uh, uh, the Attitude Era for like uh, at the time WWF yeah, yeah. back was WWF. And like everybody was just like super sculpted, and so they yeah. did that with the figure lines too. But it's, it's like funny. a rebel fleet trooper, it's right? Like, it's just like jacked <laughs> monkey face Leia. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's <just> like Cro Magnum. <laughs> I think that's actually another. Uh, I think that's another. Like, thing look that at that one on the left right there. Yeah, like look how jacked she is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, she's been doing squats. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> so funny yeah but that was the thing is like people were like all these other ones are worth a lot of money so i buy these and not open them and everybody did it so now yeah yeah so i get i would say uh not necessarily frustrating i mean i I try to be as respectful as possible because a lot i mean people a lot of times don't know what they have and i get calls all the time like i got the original star wars figures and i'm like describe it to me and they do it and i tell them to turn around the back and they're like it says 1977 and i'm like is there another year? Yeah, 2005 or 1997 or 98. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. You should just find a kid to donate it to. or Because uh, a lot of stuff has got more play value than collector And value. that's good. Like for my kid, like, right. I love it. Like I went to a, I went to a, out like an antique mall in Louisville 
and there was a guy whose whole booth was like 90s Star Wars figures and it wasn't the jacked up ones it was right. like um, I don't remember what the name of the line was but it was like the green and black card back okay so I've been like series 2 or 3 yeah yeah probably they, 97 they were more they, they were shaped more like traditional right. figures but they were like 2 bucks yeah. 3 bucks and, and they're in the, and pack, the, package. the package yeah yeah and it's like my kid watches those movies he knows those characters I can buy him these toys in a package. He can open and play with them. I don't feel bad about it. And you know what I mean? Right. It was like, I don't have to spend crazy money on an, on an old vintage figure that, you know, for all he, he cares, looks exactly the same. You know, it's still just yeah. a Han Solo or a Darth Vader figure. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, I think nowadays you, in the really collectible stuff, what's interesting is the newer stuff, the more valuable stuff from the newer lines would be like, I think, 2008, 2009. It's when the economy collapsed because they were still producing toys. But I think what was happening is they weren't producing them maybe in the same sort of frequency that they were prior or after that. And so a lot of the stuff didn't get purchased. But that's actually, some of those pieces can be over $100, believe it or not, from 2008, 2009, just because it's they were extremely good sculpts. They were very well made. And they Is that the vintage collection? The vintage collection, yeah. Yeah, I thought that's when I started collecting them again. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. well you're smart. <laughs> well, because I because that was what I liked about, it, and I didn't open them. Right. They were that was before my son was born. It was like 2008, 2009. Yep. And it was like some of them were figures they hadn't made the first time around, right. but they were put in packages to look like the vintage yes. figures. So you know, like Slave Leia or, or characters like that, mm-hmm. and then some of them were direct replicas of the original yeah and and that appealed to you know not direct i mean you probably know some differences but i found them at like kohl's you know for like four dollars or whatever and i just liked how they looked on the shelf because they they same thing like for me to to hold a toy i played with as a kid or to see the same toy i played with as a kid evokes the same emotion it's like the memory that it gives me when i see it right right so when i see those vintage packaged toys whether they even though they're not the original it's still it's like i look at them and i get the same feeling as if they were or ones that i had actually owned. oh yeah they knocked out of the park with the packaging i mean it's so important you look at you know any retail rack and just the point of sale material you know what the packaging looks like and i think what's interesting is like you know, Star Wars is, if you look at the original card backs in the 70s, like, they're so dark. They're all black. Like, that's the theme is black. And at that time, you had, remember Six Million Dollar Man? Yes. Do you remember what the boxes looked like? I remember the the 12-inch the figures, not the yep. mini. Do you remember what the color of the boxes were? No. Look it up real quick on your computer. Right. So the 12-inch boxes for Six Million Dollar Man were the most absurd color for a toy line that was directed toward boys. In the seventies, do we have any guesses before he pulls it up? Pink, pink, fuchsia, yeah, fuchsia yeah. pink, and because uh, they wanted to stand out on on the on the uh, yeah on the rack. Wow, so no one bought them? No, they, I mean they did fairly well. They were Kenner product, so they were made here in Cincinnati. Also, those turn up every once in a while. We have a couple pieces uh, of those just because it's a novelty and it's kind of neat. Wow, but there's a, that's one of those things. It's you know they've been worth a certain amount of money for years. It really hasn't changed or fluctuated. Because um, it's more of a niche collectible. Yeah, because like the val- like the where does the demand come right. from to make it go up? Exactly. I mean, Star Wars has been more sustainable than any of them. Right. GI Joe has been pretty good too, but GI Joe is, you know, eighties 
everybody has their buying power now because they're in their 30s and 40s. Right. Um, that's why, like, Pokemon, I think eventually that may actually be a good toy line just because it was so popular in the 90s. And eventually, you know, as those adults grow, they may want to go back and try to find some of the stuff they had as a kid. I mean, the, the cards alone, some of them are worth, you know, tons of money. But I'm talking about the toys. Yeah, I think that's why you're starting to see just a little bit of comeback on starting lineups from where they were. Yeah. Because all the people my age, are they're finally getting to that collector, have a little disposable income, and they're buying them back. You know, they're wanting to get them back again. Yeah, starting lineups, man, I, for forever, they were the bane of my existence. I, I would curse the starting lineup <laughs> name so much. Not because I disliked them. As a kid, I had them. I had Eric Davis. I had uh, Ozzie Smith. I had Dave Justice. Oh, I know there's probably <laughs> two or three I can't think of off the top of my head. But so the guys that, that worked at Kenner and stuff here, when they sold all the really, really good stuff in the 90s to the guys that would come in from out of town, they would never buy starting lineups. So I would get calls and they'd say, you know, I'd reach out to people and they'd say, hey, come on over. I have some stuff in my time at Kenner. I'd go there and you'd walk in and there'd be like, this one house, I kid you not, over a thousand starting lineups and boxes. Not a single Star Wars item. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I, I'd, shake, I'd shake my fist and I, you know, I'd, again, I'd, I'd respectfully pass. But I have a lot of friends that collect. And there's a lot of like Star Wars collectors that have started to collect starting lineups because they're really affordable still. Yeah. They're still like. But like what? Like McFarland is like the one you want to. McFarland's the new one, which is like super detailed sports figures yeah but the starting line oh, i thought he did like old ones and you could tell his no, he did stuff in the 90s somebody. like spawn and he did a couple other things um but his stuff i mean from like an artistic perspective it's really cool just collectability wise it really hasn't never really caught on because it was made it was like a manufactured collectible like beanie babies yeah. it was made to be collectible and you do that organically the value of it doesn't go up whereas starting lineups again i you know i got fond memories of them sitting on this wood construction my dad had made for me that held my baseball bat, my glove, and a ball hat. And they would sit on that with, you know, my my tools to go out and play uh, T-ball or baseball, <laughs> whatever it was at the time. Um, but, yeah, starting lineups, I mean, starting lineups, I would say the, the most valuable is going to be, like, I think it's 88 football. Like, that's the, that's what everybody wants. There's a character called, not character, there's a player called Bill Fralick, and he's kind of the, I guess, the holy grail of, of starting lineup collectors <laughs> yeah. for production. Uh, but I've got a couple prototype starting line of figures. I sh- actually should have brought one. I have a hand-painted Boomer Sison. That's amazing. Chris Felix painted? Uh, no, this is before his time. Okay. This would have been 88. Okay. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's unbelievable. I love it. it. It sits like on my shelf with all my like novelty, non-Star Wars stuff. Man. So do you, you got any other good stories from uh, meeting up with people that you – can and want to share of just like crazy stuff that's happened because because oh. basically so people see yeah. an ad on facebook right i don't you know i let's see crazy like crazy how i don't know however like just memorable ones that memorable. you showed up to somebody's house and whether pleasantly or or uh I disappointedly think, surprised no, I, by I, what they had. I'm pretty. Or do you vet it now before you go? To I, 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 always, I always vet it. I always vet it. I mean, I do it number one for safety, you know. But number two, just because I, there's a value to my time, and, and I just want to make sure that if somebody has something that doesn't have value or it could be you know better used, maybe being donated, I'll just tell them on the phone. 
or, you know, I'll tell maybe a different way to dispose of it that would help other people. Um, but I, I've had some interesting, some interesting, uh, events over the years and things, you know, things that I've done. I, I, I went to a, a woman's house. Actually, I better not tell that story because she's a member of the community. It's really funny. I'll, I'll tell you off air about that. I, I went, one, <laughs> one guy's house I went to one time, he told me he, um, he worked for a corrugated cardboard company and he had a couple, he said he had, uh, the 12, the original 12 figures, right? So this, I think this is the only time where I was expecting a lot less than what it ended up being. And, uh, so I went to his house. It was like a new house. I was immediately assuming, okay, this is probably 90 stuff. I go down to this basement and I went, Oh my God. Like I, I couldn't even control it. I had no poker face. I was like, Oh my God. I freaked out. He had an original shipping crate of 48 12 back star uh, card Star Wars figures all laid out on the table with the, the uh, display where you put it, you know, on top of the countertop. And I saw it and I was just like, oh my, where did you get this? Because number one, I didn't expect it to be in a brand new house because stuff like that, you know, typically is sold years prior to somebody moving. And um, he's, he told me he worked at a, a cardboard company, and they did a, um, a point of sale. Um, how, what was it called? It was like an event that was up at McCormick Place in Chicago. I guess it was probably 78, 79. And they, were, they had entered that. They asked Kenner to send them an example. So Kenner shipped the, the shipping crate full of all these figures. The only bad thing about it was when they did this uh, event, they were concerned that people were going to pull them out and, and run off with them. So they, they used a little slight bit of glue on every single card figure and stuck it down into the display. So when he had, was setting, when he tore it all up, you know, from uh, Chicago to come back to Cincinnati, um, he pulled them all out. So there was like a litho tear on the bottoms, but just to see all of, you know, all original 48, 12 back star Wars, you know, as they looked, you know, back when they went to retail all those years ago, it was pretty incredible. And we kept every single one of those, and um, they were really bent because they were stored poorly. Oh, yeah, and you flat. It took them me out. two years to flatten them out to get them all back in the display. I'll, I'll find a photo while we're talking. What did you put, like an encyclopedia on top of them? Or no, something? so I had these these things called star cases, which are really good ways to store uh, card figures because they keep the card back flat and they keep the bubble protected so that it doesn't get damaged. Actually, my dad helped me create a template. That was used with wood, and we used wood and, and, uh, and vice grips. Um, so the bubble wouldn't be touched at all, but the cardboard would actually be straightened out. We got really deep into like how we were going to do this because we wanted to display because it it's so <laughs> amazing to actually you know see something like that. There's not many places. I think there's only maybe two or three guys in the world that have a display that has all 48 12-backs that you can see put into an actual display. Um, um, all right, so here is a... they have one of those down at the Museum Center for the Star Wars? I don't think so. Not this. Oh, so oh, no. I've actually been trying to... So I, a lot of the Star Wars stuff we have have... Um, <laughs> wow, just like... Have like the original stickers from all wow. the different department stores and toy stores that are no longer in Cincinnati. Wow. So we've got like Swallens, Van Lunens, Johnny's Toys, McAlpins, oh, like all these different locations. And so my idea, I reached out to oh, um, awesome. the Cincinnati Museum Center, <clears throat> who owes me an email back, several <laughs> un unresponded emails, <clears throat> about putting on a display there right around Christmas time and basically having it be, having it look like a toy store in the 70s and 80s 
like right near where Santa sits at, at the uh, museum center. And what would be cool is we could actually highlight individual pieces that have the price stickers from retailers that are no longer in Cincinnati that were like Cincinnati based. Wow. We'll, we'll sell shirts. That's unbelievable. Yep. There you go. We'll be there. So that's what I want to do. Um, Cincinnati Museum Center. <laughs> Please respond to my four unanswered emails. <laughs> we'll, put, uh, we'll put it in our store if, uh, if they don't get back to you. All right. So how can people get a hold of you if they think that they have something you might want to see? Actually, before you do that, yeah. tell people what you're looking for now. Oh, I, it's one of those things I don't know what I want unless I see it. I think any the stuff I would love to have is like Kenner employee items, prototypes, things like that. I mean, they're so hard, few and far between, though. Um I don't know. It's just one of those things. I mean, I'll tell you pretty quickly if it's something I'm interested in or not. My website, toyhoarders.com, uh, which I named because my wife calls me a hoarder of toys. And so I kind of took it and ran with it, which, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a good way to kind of see what we have in our collection. There's pictures of uh, collections that we've purchased. So I think I get a lot of calls from people who are like, well, I've got a large collection. I'm thinking to myself, well... I've I've actually rented moving trucks before <laughs> to get a collection out of somebody's house. So wow. I, I'm kind of jaded when it comes to the size of collections. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, condition if it's things we want. Um, you know, we it's one of those things that if you, if you think you have something I might want, reach out to me. The worst thing I can say is I'm not interested. The best thing I can say is uh, let's... I'll take you out the coffee or whatever. I mean, with, with Kenner people specifically, something I, I do offer because with like we have an insurance policy on in our collection, it's actually it's worth a significant amount at this point. So we can't necessarily have everybody come toward it. And that's why we have a virtual museum set up on the website, which we're slowly archiving all the stuff in our collection. But if you're like an ex-Kenner guy, if you're a vendor and you have some really key pieces that you'd be willing to sell for our, to our collection... I'll actually give you the in-person tour. So I take you down, I'll show you everything, um, give you an opportunity to see where it's going to end up. And uh, those guys that sell me stuff, like if they want to come over, you know, a year or two from now and see it and just, you know, say like visitation (laughs) rights, you know, you'll know where it's going, which I think is kind of neat because I know, you know, there's a lot of great collectors out there, but there's very few that keep, try to keep one of everything. A lot of them are more, um, you know, targeted in what they're trying to add for their for their collection. I've seen it, and it is incredible. It's, it is. It's a labor of love. It's moving to see it. It really is. Actually, I had a um, I had a, a Kenner designer, somebody that came over uh, actually earlier this week, and he came down there and he actually said, "What do you think?" And he caught his breath. He's like, "Honestly, I'm emotional right now," which was really cool to see because we have. It was interesting. He wasn't as interested in the toys as he was um, all the historical employee things that we have, like phone directories and like different name cards, business cards. Um, we've got clothing. We've got one of the things that, that resonated with him. We have this uh, a belt buckle that we got from um, a guy named uh, Homer Gemmer, who was a you know just a, a key uh, person at Kenner back in the day and just developing so many toy lines. And it it's a belt buckle. That looks like the Superman logo, except it's that stylized K that, that Kenner's known for. And he would work, I guess, in the model and the pattern shop with it. And the guy recognized it immediately and goes, wow, I remember this. So it was it was really cool. And, yeah, he, he even showed me. He's like, I got goosebumps. So that was that was really cool to do. Um, so we, we do offer that for the people that work there. Um, 
just because we kind of have to put limitations on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, toyhoarders.com is our website. And uh, I try to update it once a week. Um, I mean, I got a, a, you know, I have my own business and I've got uh, the side hobby and I've got my wife and kids. So it's, I do it as I can, but um, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to check out. Yeah. And it yeah, shows a little bit of things cool. like they, uh, Channel 12 came over and they did a story on us uh, last year. So that's, that clip's on there. You get to watch my brother and I do a lightsaber duel like two gigantic nerds. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, 20 seconds or less, what happens in the new uh, Star Wars movie based on your taste from the new Okay, trailer? All right. So I do not know if this is going to be true or not. So stop listening right now if you don't want any potential spoilers, but I don't think they're spoilers. So I think it's called Rise of Skywalker, not because Ray has anything to do or affiliation with Skywalker. Obviously, Anakin Skywalker's already done, right? I believe that they did such an injustice to Luke Skywalker in the previous movie that they are actually going to bring him back in some way, shape, or form as a way to right-size the Force. And I think they're going to do that by Rey turning to the dark side with influence from the Emperor, who's already been hinted at he'll make an appearance in this movie as maybe like a... Um, maybe like a force, a spirit force or force spirit. And I think he's going to influence Ray to strike down Kylo in a moment of anger, which will divert her from the light to the dark side. And since you won't have a light and a dark side of the force that are main characters playing against one another, you're going to have an inconsistency with the balance of the force. And what will happen is, is that Ray will take up and be become the bad, the bad entity. Um, and she'll control the First Order. And in order to right-size the Force and end the true sagas of Star Wars to, to give uh, Disney a, a new uh, palette to paint from, they are going to bring Luke Skywalker in as the embodiment of the Force incarnate. And he will destroy Rey, and he will destroy the First Order, and then he will become a force, uh, uh, one with the Force again. And you will have a level set. So that if Disney wants to revisit this five, six, seven, however many years from now, they can begin right where they pick off, pick up with all new characters and a new storyline without destroying anything from the original. Wow. That's what I think is going to happen. I heard it here. Wow. <laughs> I think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll find out, though. Thank, uh, dude, thank you for being here. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. We, we need a promo code from you. You can... Pick any word or phrase, uh, not not too long. Some people can remember. It's going to save them money on the website. Ooh, okay. Let's see, man, you didn't you didn't tell me this ahead of time. Oh, boy. No, on the that. spot. How about Kenner? Perfect. Oh, yeah, I would never object to that one. All right, there there you go. So type in promo code Kenner, K E N N E R. It'll save you twenty percent online or at one of our stores, Hyde Park. Loveland or Over the Rhine, and that code will be good until our next episode airs. Oh, and actually, can I mention one more thing? Yeah. Yes. If you visit my website and you worked at Kenner, um, check it out because somebody who creates shirts helped me create a shirt to actually give out to employees um, that helped work on the different toy lines we all love today. So that might be a freebie for some of the listeners out there. Yeah, you can get a really cool vintage Kenner logo t-shirt talking to talking to sean there you go so uh yeah let, if you got some cool stuff uh or you want to know what you got this is the man to talk to or if you just want to talk toys yeah and you have to come back so we can talk <laughs> toys some definitely more. Yeah. yeah all right check out toyhorse.com uh they can uh, you're on instagram 
No, uh, not really. Not really. No, nah, maybe my personal ones on there, but okay. not, not not for the the site. I keep Just most of it to, on the website. Go to toyorders.com. Reach out to Sean. He'll take care of you. He'll take real good care of you. And tell him that you heard about it from this podcast. We're trying to see if if any if if any of the word gets out from us. That would be. Awesome. Tell you what, I'll I'll every anybody that contacts me that I end up doing a deal with, I'll donate twenty dollars per deal to Cincy Shirts uh, charity of choice. Awesome. There you go. Let's do it. Awesome. Great. All right. (laughs) Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Once upon a once in a while, it's hard to remember to smile, just like all of your toys. Can't you see I don't want to play? I don't need it. Can't you say you want me to stay? I'll be leaving just like all of your toys. Sean Lemcool. Find Sean and his brother at ToyHoarders.com. There you can see their virtual collection, as well as find out how to sell them your toys, if you have such a notion. And so a little bit of trivia to add to Josh's story about the sheet of uncut Revenge of the Jedi sheets that his dad pulled out of the dumpster there uh, back in the day at Kenner. So the movie was going to be called Revenge of the Jedi, and the Star Trek folks were working on a movie called Star Trek II, The Revenge of Khan. Well, uh, Star Trek was having a little bit of trouble at the time, and Star Wars was the much stronger franchise. Star Wars, uh, Star Trek was limping off of uh, the motion picture, which didn't do very well, so it was very important for them to do well with this uh, next picture. There wasn't going to be any more Star Trek, really. Uh, William Shatner told me that, by the way. Anyway, uh, so Revenge of the Jedi, uh, Star Trek The Revenge of uh, Khan, the Star Wars people came to the Star Trek people and said, hey, look, uh, we're going to call our movie Revenge of the Jedi. Could you not call yours The Revenge of Khan? And the Star Wars people, the Star Trek people, I'm sorry, I keep getting confused. (laughs) The Star Trek people acquiesced and said, sure. And they changed their movie to the name The Wrath of Khan, which uh, I think is actually a better title uh, in the long run. Maybe I'm just used to it. And then after that, the Star Wars folks said, you know what? Revenge of the Jedi isn't that great of a title, so they changed the title of their movie, too. So neither of them wound up with Revenge in the name. So a little trivia for you there. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, just drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com, and put podcast guest in the subject line, and then tell us who you'd like to have on the show. Give us a little background if you like on them, or just give us their contact info if you have it. Whatever, we'll track them down. And if you haven't already, as always, go back and plunder the Cincy Shirts archives. 83 great episodes back there of everybody from Frank Marzullo to Mo Egger to... Uh, Amy Yazbek, the actress, Cash Wright, basketball player, Finn Rock, the disc jockey, all, all back there. Uh, you can enjoy those all. Uh, today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find Midget Tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have a lot of defunct teams, old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations, and the like, uh, just like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the Promo code for this episode is Kenner, K-E-N-N-E-R, uh, uppercase, lowercase, you can alternate, doesn't matter, it'll work either way, you can use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can come into one of our physical, or as we say, brick and mortar stores in Over the Rhine, Hyde Park, or Loveland, and say Kenner, and they'll give you 20% off. So, follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news, give us a review wherever you got the podcast from, and as always, download or stream us next time, bye! Bye!